Okay, everybody, welcome again to Monroe Live Podcast, and I'm here with Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut who's also normal, as you can see by his hat. <laughs> so uh, this is, to me, a very exciting time. So, uh, Tim, thank you very, very much for, uh, for coming on board. And um, um, for those who, who kind of like only look at cars, can you give us a little background? Because uh, there are people out there that just look at cars. So it'd be good if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a car guy through and through. So uh, I, I'm there with you. Uh, grew up loving cars and motorcycles, working on them, wrenching on them, fixing them, tuning them, racing them. Uh, yeah. So so that's kind of, uh, I like things that go fast. And uh, when you eventually get to the end of that food chain, I think you end up at Rockets. Uh, yep. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing faster and more powerful than than a rocket engine. So um, I have throughout the past uh, about six or seven years now, uh, just kind of slowly uh, become more and more obsessed. I don't know about slowly. I'd say rather quickly become more and more obsessed with rocket propulsion, with rocket technology, with space flight, um, human space flight exploration, um, and all of that kind of thing. And uh, I go, I've been, you know, had the pleasure of going behind the scenes with many rocket companies, uh, seeing how they are, you know, building and working on rockets, uh, including Rocket Lab, in New Zealand, um, SpaceX's Starship factory uh, in Texas, Firefly in in Texas. Recently, I did Earth's a major rocket uh, engine company out in Colorado. Um, yeah, just had a, a great Stoke Space in Washington. Just had an awesome yeah. time visiting a lot of these companies and, and seeing how they're they're doing what they do. And then also, of course, I love attending launches and seeing these things fly because there's nothing more fun than that. Yeah. Yeah, well, you you got me there. I haven't had a chance to see any rocket launches. Um, um, I've worked on. Actually, we have three things in common. Um, both of us have uh, talked to uh, Elon Musk. Uh, both of us have been at SpaceX and walked through the um, you know the magic there. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> and uh, both of us uh, are uh, you know like uh, Bill Gates, college dropouts. So, uh, so we got it all. I mean, this is like, uh, like, like magic or something. Yeah. Yeah. Kindred souls here. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy though with rockets, it's easy to fall in love with them. Even if you don't know what you're yeah. looking at at first, cause they have so many facets and things that you, so many of those things of like, why this? And by the time you figure out the whole reasoning behind it all, you just get 30 other questions going yeah. and every one of those is his own journey. And I, I find that that process to be extremely fun. Well, um, I was brought into rockets mainly because they wanted to have a different opinion. So, um, and they had forgotten a lot of stuff. So when I started working with NASA, um, all the rockets to the moon and everything, uh, I guess nobody could find the prints anymore. Nobody knew what was going on. And so consequently what wound up happening was, um, they, they had to try and recreate what they had done in the, I don't know, fifties or sixties or something like that. And, and, and really, and truly, um, looking at how things were then with just paper and pencil, these guys drew all this stuff. Like yeah. there was no CAD and there was no like computer aided design and mm -hmm. there was no computers getting the job done to me is totally mind blowing. And so we went in and started looking at the stuff they had literally laying on the ground to um 
figure out how to uh, how to how to get get to the the rocket ship stage. But when it came to many of the components, where I thought, hey, you know what, this could be made a whole lot simpler. Mm, a big uh, negatory there. They absolutely flat out would not change at all, and I have no idea why. But all the changes that we suggested, um, I, I mean, when I got a chance to go through SpaceX, there they were, all in place, welding everywhere. No, you can't weld. No, it's not possible. Okay, good. And there it is. And they <laughs> welded everything at uh, at SpaceX. All the uh, all the uh, canisters and whatnot. Everything's basically all the interfaces. Yeah, yeah. Very few flanges. Yeah. Lots of welds. No, no, just welding. And that's a good idea. Gets rid of weight. Um, strong as hell. And by the way, uh, NASA never, <laughs> never had a rocket ship that was, uh, that was possible to land. In fact, I remember hearing a great big 45 minutes of crapola about how you can't make it, uh, a rocket ship come down like in the movies. So, yeah. so much for that. Yeah, yeah. well, <clears throat> but don't forget DCX. The DCX program by Lockheed Martin in the 90s yeah. actually yeah. did develop, and that was... Uh, a little bit of a skunk works project, you know, mm-hmm. but they developed some of the, they were the first to kind of show, you know, we can do propulsive landing. Now, obviously they were doing it at a, you know, subscale size and, you know, yeah. not coming back from, uh, you know, is especially with the Falcon nine when that thing's coming back in, it's, yeah. it's already gone, you know, Mach five. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's out and it's made it to space. It's, and it turns around and comes back. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And the forces and all of the, the engineering behind yeah. making that thing propulsively land. And yeah. now we're coming up on, almost 200 consecutive landings of that thing. It's just insane. It's, it's amazing to me. I, I, and this is where, as far as I'm concerned, strongly held, you know, rules and regulations, they really block your vision for the future. And I think that that's why it just couldn't happen anywhere else, except for Elon Musk. He doesn't, he doesn't have filters at all. I don't think (laughs) at least I didn't, I I didn't see. Yeah. I don't think he does either. And, I, I think you're also kind of touching on some of the, the differences in engineering between, you know, especially uh, the U.S. Uh, during the, the space race, you know, the, the 50s, 60s and the Soviet Union. The Soviets really like to push hardware uh, on the stand, see yeah. what breaks, iterate. They were not afraid of breaking things. Right. They were not afraid of trying 50 different things. And instead of trying to really kind of, I would say, pre-solve the problem, uh, they really like to just kind of test something, see how it went and then improve on what went wrong. And the mm-hmm. United States has always had a little bit less of a, a risk forward approach to engine testing and development. It tends to be, and, and especially with things like the, you know, the F1 engine and the, the SSME, the RS-25 on the space shuttle, things like that. They, you know, they really tried their hardest to, to minimize big changes. You know, once they kind of made up their mind on how this is going to go, it's almost like they forced it to work and work out all the kinks instead of letting the, the kinks tell them, you know, which way they should go with the design. Yeah, yeah. But there's a famous guy in the auto world uh, named Boss Kettering, uh, um, and he um, he was a big fan of trying it, failing it, trying again, you know, finding out. He was uh, the guy that really invented the, the modern diesel engine. He did it during World War II. And um, he was extremely big on... Um, uh, trial and failure and then later and by the way he did he invented fast drying paint he he invented the um electric starter which basically killed the electric car for a long time um he um 
Um, he, he invented Freon. He, there were so many things that he got involved with, and um, he was an electrical engineer, but that didn't seem to hold him back on anything. He was, as far as I'm concerned, one of my big heroes and an icon. In uh, He's not remembered like Sloan, <clears throat> because Sloan is, uh, you know, um, he's in business. <laughs> he was the business guy, but Kettering made everything happen. Yeah. Hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. But, uh, but you, you were saying that, uh, <clears throat> you're also a car guy. So what are you thinking about the, uh, the way things are going with cars? Where's the, where do you think that's, uh, that's headed? Well, I mean, obviously it looks like electrification is pretty much winning over and just purely from a, a physics standpoint and, uh, you know, energy, you know, just the idea of uh, kind of wattage in or, you know, or joules or potential energy in and, and what you yeah. get out of propulsion. I mean, you're not going to beat, at least for any time in the foreseeable future, you know, I, I'm afraid that just purely from that standpoint, from an energy management standpoint, the internal combustion engine is just far too inefficient. Um, yeah. Uh, and as the infrastructure grows with with electrical, you know, with EVs, it's it's getting more and more exciting. It's becoming less and less of a, a scary thing. You know, I've been road tripping for since 2018. I've mm -hmm. driven, uh, you know, all across the country many, many times from Iowa to Florida and Iowa to Texas and Iowa to Nevada and California. I mean, all over the place in, yeah. in a Model 3. And uh, I mean, that's all solved to me. That's that infrastructure yeah. solved. And. And frankly, 99% of the time when I'm driving, it's a huge convenience factor to be able to wake up to a, a topped off vehicle and not have to worry about, oh, crap, I'm, you know, I was planning on getting there without having to fill up and stuff yeah, like that. So yeah. um, I, I see the trend just going more and more that way. And even as we see more and more companies moving that way, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that it's taken this long. I thought about five years ago, we would have saw the ramp up we're seeing today. Yeah, well, that's because... Quite frankly, <clears throat> most of the major car companies have uh, unbelievably good um, marketing people. And the marketing people have stemmed the, the tide. They've, they've filled the, uh, the news with things like, you know, range anxiety. Where did that come from? I mean, I'm pretty sure I know where it came from. And then biodiesel is better than, than electricity and on and on. Um, it's amazing what uh, what a marketing guy can come up with, and and it's amazing what propaganda can you know do to slow things down. But I was mm. thinking, what do, what are you what are your thoughts on the uh, you know um, the uh, flying car um, George Jetson kind of life? Uh, I think we're way behind the times there. <clears throat> okay, so we got electric cars now. When are we going to get that VTOL that I so in, uh, desperately right. need? Yeah, I you know, you'd think we're getting closer now, especially just with you know, battery density becoming, re like it's it's improving year after year. You know, with with as far as uh, watt hour per per kilogram or per pound yeah, or whatever, yeah. um, that's improving. You have you know, really efficient brushless motors and things that are you know making these these vehicles be able to be you know have some kind of decent amount of range plus a yeah. decent amount of reliability and all of these other factors. But again, I kind of think like it's like they're all converging and it seems like, I don't know, I'm, I'm expecting to see a flying car here and, and for sure in my lifetime, I'd really hope within 10, 15 years, we have a, you know, the opportunity, to, at least if you don't own one, like it would be not a huge deal or, or not impossible to imagine you, you hail one as a, you know, as an Uber or yeah. a Lyft or something yeah. and hop in one and it's, and it's, you know, they might only be hopping across a, a certain section of town or whatever, but 
I definitely think that's got to be in the in the future week we're going to live in. I mean, right? Yeah. Well, I think the first ones are going to be uh, basically a shuttle between um, the airport and um, the center of a city. Yeah. Um, right now, um, Detroit Metro Airport, just today I heard one um, airport of the nation or something, or North America, best airport in North America. And uh, and I that's 100% true, but there's no rail system to go from the best airport in the world to Detroit, or there's mm-hmm. no, the only way you can get there is taxi or Uber. So having something else, having um, a VTOL to take you from, you know, uh, from Metro to someplace downtown Detroit would be absolutely, and, and, and now we've got, I mean, Detroit, Detroit's one of the best cities on the planet to go to. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of, of good things happening, but there's no, no connection between the best airport and a, <laughs> and a city back on the way up. And, uh, and, and it just, I, there's no way you're going to put a rail system in. So, right. uh, so the, uh, the flying, the flying taxi or whatever is, is to me, is like totally logical. Yeah. You yeah. got to go over, you got to go yeah. under, you know, yeah. we know Elon's working pretty hard on trying to, you know, improve, you know, doing loops and things like that. And, yeah. you know, Las Vegas is the perfect example where even though you're nice and close to, to, from the strip to the airport, I mean, you're still talking about 15, 20 minute Uber ride. Right. Yeah. And you're right there. You're, you yeah. know, you're three understand. miles. And exactly. it's like, it's ridiculous. Chicago yeah. is even worse. You know, a city like Chicago, well, uh, O'Hare airport is yeah. 45 minutes to an hour downtown. It's, it's so weird how we, yeah, it, I, I, I'm shocked that we're this far behind compared to, you know, Europe figured it out and have, I've yeah, never flown into a city and airport where I, uh, in Europe where I can't get downtown uh, quick, easy and cheap. Yeah, right. Well, that's because they had rail systems that they built airports close to. It was a totally <laughs> yeah. different uh, mindset, right? But, yeah. uh, but anyways, I, I look at, um, I look at uh, the next generation of transportation, at least on the planet, as being something where we're going to jump into something that's going to pick us up and take us over and drop us off. But <laughs> the one that needs it the most is L.A. Oh, my God. Oh. I spent four hours on the Ventura Highway. I'm just sitting there, oh. you know, going crazy. And a cab driver says, oh, you should have left two hours ago. <laughs> two hours. And when I got in the cab, he said that. I don't think we can make the plane. I said, what? It's four hours. Come on, it's got to be. Oh nope, well, I don't think so. So, uh, oh. so there you go. I, um, but anyway, let's let's move away from the uh, <laughs> from the uh, gravitational pull of this place, from the terrestrial. Yeah, and move into um, one of the things I'd really like to talk a little bit about would be um, faster than light. Um, you know, it's got the acronym now um, uh, <laughs> FTL, but. But really and truly, um, not so many people, re- they think it's okay on Star Trek, but not so okay for real, you know. But there's a lot of research on it, um, and uh, apparently there's some loophole that uh, that Einstein left so we could, you know, try and get from wherever to wherever in a, in a, in a fraction of the time. So where are you with... Um, with um, uh, Basically, um, um, warp speed, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Well, let me make sure and uh, prime this with saying I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not a physicist. The, everything, and th- this is getting a little out of my normal realm, but I still love to talk about it because it's definitely a fun yeah. thing to, to indulge in. But 
You know, I think sans some major breakthrough in our understanding of physics and, and of space time and specifically how to manipulate or, you know, how to uh, distort space time. I don't think we're going to be able to see any, you know, using conventional physics, you know, it just the it just always says that, you know, if you have even the tiniest bit of mass, you'll never be able to reach, you know, it just becomes exponentially harder yeah. that the heavier an object is to get closer and closer to the speed of light. So without us being able to to warp the space and time in front of a vehicle and 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 then you know extend it behind it basically, um, or finding things like you know if we learn about wormholes and things like that, you know yeah. I I don't know I mean I I don't I'm definitely not going to sit there and go oh we'll never figure that out because I mean I think a hundred years ago they would have absolutely been laughing at saying it that people will just casually fly across the ocean no big deal yeah. and land on the moon like. You know, they would have never seen what was coming. Right. In the same way, I don't know what the next hundred years of of our understanding of of physics, especially you know, now that we're studying gravitational waves, things like that, with you know, with, mm -hmm. with LIGO and some of the other uh, you know, sensitive instrumentation, we're actually learning about gravitational waves. We're already seeing ripples in, in space time and uh and effects of that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see if, you know, if we figure some stuff out, but I'm I'm not gonna I wouldn't be one to sit there and try to figure it out myself because I have no idea where it even start. Yeah. Well, by yourself is imp impossible <laughs> yeah. to do anything. I mean, yeah. you, any, 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 anything basically requires uh, a team of um, experts that really and truly want to move in the right direction. But you know, it's funny you said that my grandfather, um, uh, he had kind of an interesting life. He, um, <clears throat> he joined the Navy when he was either nine or 10. And, um, and uh, he was on uh, basically a steamer sailor. So it was a kind of a very old type of, um, um, not a battleship, but a ship, uh, uh, some warship. And he went from basically steam and sail all the way through to watching a man on, you know, land on the moon. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you think about it. Uh, he... <laughs> He went through so many different eras, um, you know, all the way to the space, the era of space. It was amazing to me. And, and to him, he kept talking about it. He says, you know, I lived an amazing life. And, and he would talk about, you know, all, all the different things that he saw that, uh, that I mean, going from, um, going from most, a lot of people still had gas lights in their house. Yeah. especially in Britain when, uh, or it was either coal, I think they had coal oil or something. I don't know, something right. that they used to kerosene lamps and things mm -hmm. and then light bulbs and whatnot and TV sets. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine no radios or TVs. That would be like, uh, you know, you'd be Dark put ages. on a big pile and burned to death like a witch. Yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's amazing there that, that, that these things can happen. But I, I truly believe that, um, the, if, if, if people get out of the way of people with new thoughts, new ways of doing the business, I, I really think we could, we can get into it. And, and the reason for that is, is simple, right? Um, aliens, <laughs> I, I, um, I, you know, I'm good at math and, uh, the, the, basically the number of stars, that's a lot to count. 
times the number of possibilities that you'd get, um, you know, a magic, uh, a magic planet like Earth seems strikingly possible to me that that we could uh, we should be able to communicate or at least get close to somebody who's from some other solar system and um, and maybe they'll whisper in our ear and tell us how we can get there. Uh, you know, that's that seems like logic to me. I'm 100% with you as far as the statistical, you know, I mean, statistically, we can't be alone. I mean, just yeah. from the raw data of, like you said, the the billions of stars and, the, and then the billions on billions of galaxies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if uh, the average star has maybe five planets and if one in every 50 of them is potentially habitable, I mean, we're still talking about trillions of potential, yeah, right. you know, habitable planets uh, in the known universe. And yeah, I, I now the idea of communicating, communicating with them. And, you know, I don't know if you've read like Andy Weir's book, um, Project Hail Mary. No, I have not. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. It is a little bit about this. And what's cool is that it, he took such an interesting approach about um, the communication differences that completely different life forms might might take. Now, he's uh, Andy Weir is the one that wrote The Martian. He also has um, an Artemis called or a book called Artemis about uh, lunar mining and lunar settlements. Uh, but his uh, his book, Project Hail Mary, was just phenomenal and, and painting this incredible picture about what it might be like to try to communicate with other life forms that in a way that I had never thought of. We'll just put it that way. I don't want any spoilers, but it's like this is brilliant. And mm. um, it kind of puts into p the, the perspective, the idea that, you know, who knows, maybe they have been, you know, that there's people or, or, you know, life out there trying to communicate with us every day. And it's just in a way that we don't have the capacity to even understand yet. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I'm excited uh, to, it makes, it does make me really excited to think about the idea of us being able to, to discover definitively yeah. Uh, other life. forms. Yeah. I, um, um, like I say, I've been kind of into this forever. Uh, from my earliest recollection, I, I used to think, you know, there's got to be, <laughs> if there's one here, there's got to be a whole bunch of them up there. And um, and then when the, there was a guy named Von Donegan that talked about uh, ancient aliens and whatnot, and somehow they must have had, if, if that's true, and it sounds like they just found some more bones in a cave somewhere uh, with little teeny people in it, but and 60% of the DNA is the same as a human. So something there is going on, but, hmm. but you think about it and, um, and you, and you wonder if you, if we just put things into our own kind of, um, timeframes or whatever, you wonder how, okay. So Rome was like magic, right? Everything is going on. They got sculpting, they got paintings, they got giant buildings that they're building. And then they, they walk west and uh, and they bump into the Gauls and in essence they they live in caves and they weigh and and they they're wearing bearskins or something. Um, they found some way to communicate, so it would seem to me that um, if there is some communication potential, we should be able to sort it out. Unless there's something I'm missing. I I mean it's to the point where I think it's you know we're talking about communicating via you know, human to human and, uh, you know, audible through the air transmission yeah. of vocal cords to, to eardrum, you know, that's, 
one form of communication. But if we're talking about, you know, gravitational waves or something that we just aren't even barely able to physically tune into yet, you know, as a species, like we're yeah. just now at the very, very beginning of, of even being able to detect a gravitational wave, let alone know how to interpret or know how to listen with enough fidelity to know. I mean, who knows what an, how an alien species would figure out how to, you know, yeah. especially if we're talking about vast distances, um, you know, if you're if you're talking about light years away, um, and if you want to actually communicate across a galaxy or across you know the universe, we're, we, you got to be able to figure out something that can yeah. communicate other than you know the electro uh, the, the spectrum, the standard spectrum of of light, you know, and um, yeah, it just gets really interesting. And and I I always go back to great claims require great evidence, but someday, man, oh man, are we going to have some incredible you know, something's going to pop up at us and smack us right in the face. And it's going yeah. to be a day to, to remember and a day to celebrate for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I personally uh, think that um, somehow, some way, um, somebody has come here at one time or another because there are certain um, leaps that, uh, that happen in civilization. It, I just don't see how that could happen via trial and error. And I've been a lot of different places. Um, I'm kind of into uh, these ancient locations. And when you look at it and go, I'm a tool maker. I couldn't make that. I mean, you know, I, I, I knew how to make pretty much anything. And um, uh, I can remember uh, going uh, to uh, Bolivia and, and uh, looking at a uh, bunch of rocks, basically with internal patterns that I couldn't, uh, oh. I couldn't interpret it at all. And and these things are thousands of years old, and and they're razor sharp. Uh, how they did that is way beyond me. And how they stayed that way is even mm. even more um, uh, confusing. I guess would be the right word. So, uh, yeah, I, I I definitely I. Personally, you know, I, I like I said, I kind of had to abide by the great claims require great evidence, but I do think that there's some. I, I wouldn't be surprised if someday, you know, we we have a conclusive statement of like, oh, you know what, we kind of put all this stuff together, and it does appear that, yeah. you know, five thousand years ago or whatever, yeah. you know, I mean, that wouldn't yeah. that wouldn't really surprise me if if we, you know, if we put all that together, um, yeah, and you know, and that could be a blip in time to another species too. The, exactly. the species might say, we'll be right back, thinking like, I'm going to the bathroom, a quick bathroom break. They come back and it's 5,000 years later. And, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, who knows? You know, that kind of stuff. It's definitely within the realm of possibilities. When you think about the great span of time and distance, it's yeah. it's definitely, uh, it's hard to fathom as, as, a, as a, with our little, you know, peanut brains. Yeah, well, uh, peanut brains, <laughs> we must all... Might as well uh, stop right there, I guess. Be a while before we can catch on. I don't want to get into politics. <laughs> Peanut brains and politics. But anyway, oh, yeah. um, you said you you said you uh, used to wrench cars and motorcycles. What what was uh, what was that like when you were a, a kid? What did you? Um, um oh, yeah. have or aspire to or what have you oh well it's always just i live only about five minutes away from a, a decent drag strip and a, a cheap oh, yeah. one i mean it's like you know it used to be like five dollar testing tunes or ten dollar testing tunes and now it's maybe like 20 bucks these days you know wow. but still really inexpensive uh yeah. just north of cedar falls iowa and it's it's awesome yeah. uh so you know we take whatever we had out there for me it always happened for some reason it always wound up being a mazda i don't know why i was <laughs> such a mazda guy it, Wow. They just would all fall on my lap. Um, 
but I love turbochargers. I love yeah. tuning turbos and, uh, you know, learning many lessons along the way about, you know, maybe a manufacturer's uh, design a, a transmission and a differential for a certain amount of torque. And when you double that amount of torque and, and beat the crap out of it, you shouldn't be surprised yeah, exactly. when there's gears bouncing down the track. Yeah. Um, and, and it turned to, you know, of course, in the pursuit of speed, it became motorcycles and I would race you know, just do drag racing of, uh, you know, 600 CC bikes up to leader bikes. And oh, yeah. um, just purely recreationally, just for fun, you know, didn't get too serious about the, you know, trying to do it in any way other than just basically adrenaline junkie, you know? Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I had a 650 Bonneville, uh, a Triumph Bonneville. And mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, uh, between the... It went rocket ship fast when you could get it started, but then when you tried to get off, your legs were dead. You, um, the vibration would uh, somehow kill all of the uh, veins and arteries in your legs. <laughs> you try and get off, and the whole thing had come down on top of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had this bike that was terrifying. It was a 2004 and 2005 Kawasaki ZX10R. Had the shortest wheelbase of it was stupidly short wheelbase. I think after that they made it longer. And the first gear's red line, I kid you not, you can look it up. I I mean, it's been a while since I looked it up, but it was 104 mile an hour first gear red yeah. line. Like, <laughs> first what gear? Is, oh, you what is the point of that? Okay, wow. That's uh, yeah. that's uh, way beyond uh, anything. I, I'm telling you, I um, um, I was always scared shit of, of um, uh, a wobble, like a uh, uh, front-end wobble. And uh, that, uh, you know, I, I had friends who... Uh, Spent a lot of time uh, trying to have their skin glued back on uh, after uh, after um, a, a crash of some sort. So I I kind of moved away from it, but I did in the uh, uh, in the interim. I I got a chance to drive a Ninja. One of my buddies had that short period of time. That's when you find out you're old. <laughs> you try, <laughs> try to bike like that, and the guys won't let. I'm mean, actually not the guys. My wife won't let me. We had uh, a couple of um, a couple of uh, electric bikes in here, and um, the guys who drive bikes every day said, "Well, we put it in rain mode first, and then drove it back and forth and a lot lot faster than uh, than you think." And, oh, yeah. and you know, it's, somebody says that I don't know who it was, but somebody said that um, you know. Uh, I, I can't remember how it went, but, but anyways, we're sitting in the parking lot. We're looking at the, one of the bikes, the spark, I think, or something. I don't know which one, but anyways, we're looking at it and some guy goes roaring by and uh, gone. And then um, one of the guys turned around and said, you know, Star Trek Enter Star Trek Enterprise does not make any noise. And it goes a lot faster than that guy. <laughs> so and that's uh, that's kind of like what I've been saying for everybody nowadays. Yeah, they're sitting there. They had the Woodward Dream Cruise, and uh, yeah, well, it's 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 funny how electric propulsion has, has changed. Again, as you know, as I hope I've explained, I'm a big. Yeah. I love cars. I love going fast. And I love yeah. all that stuff. I love the noise. I I get it. You know, I, I Formula One. I love Formula One, and and seeing the the cars track side and and hearing them, and it's incredible. But, you know, these days, whenever I see like a, I don't know, you know, in Iowa, I'm going to see a ton of trucks and I see some, some kid in a, you know, Silverado flooring it. it's making all this great, yeah. you know, ridiculous sound. And to me, it's become, and in my head, I've almost branded it unintentionally or not uh, as the sound of struggle. You know, you just, 
<laughs> it's like they think they're Man. making it sounds like it's doing so much and you look over and it's like oh it's only going 32 mile an hour like you know it's like how where's the like the, back in the day that used to be such an impressive feat and now it's like when you're just silently giving it a quarter throttle and you're flying past the vehicle it's just trying its heart you know it's hardest and making all this great noise it just it just kind of puts it into a different perspective of like oh that's not actually that appealing you know what i mean like it used to be yeah well i can i can tell you that i flew by some somebody in a ferrari um really looks like it uh you know it really looks like it it, it is going to be rocket ship fast anyway he was screaming by me and um kind of mm, i wouldn't say he pissed me off but he definitely caught my attention and <laughs> um and luckily my my wife wasn't with me. So I just went over and I thought, you know what? I'm going to tail this jerk. And, um, and I did, I went right up and I almost kissed his bumper, you know, just to see if he's a real sport, (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't anyways. Um, I'm sitting there and then I thought, you know what? We're, we are going relatively fast, but anyways, I thought, I'm just going to see what I can do about passing this guy. Let's see if he can, you know, what he's got. And I looked down the road, there's nobody there. It was like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something like that. There's virtually nobody on 75. So I just gave it what, you know, what I wanted. I, I just pushed <laughs> the pedal down and I went zipping by this guy. And I mean, it was like, it was like I ran by him so quickly. I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe how fast I passed him. And so he's yeah. coming up in back of me. And unfortunately my, my cutoff is coming, but he, he couldn't, and initially he couldn't get to where he wanted to get to, even though I know that his RPMs were high enough and he should have had plenty of torque, but it just, it, it just didn't, it didn't have what yeah. it, what it needed or wanted. So then I, I got off and I'm sure that, you know, as he's going down the road, he's going, how much did I pay for this damn piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> I got beaten by a model three. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Well, I, let me tell you, I rented a, uh, you know, I've driven a plaid model S for a good amount of time and I've driven and I rented a, uh, a, uh, a McLaren. Let me think is a, a 570 S, you know, just a dream car in, in a past life, I guess. And still, but you know, I still absolutely adore it. Yeah. But, uh, that the McLaren felt slow. The yeah. McLaren felt properly like this is fun, kind of go-karty fun, yeah. but nothing compared to a plaid model s like that's just on a different they're playing two different sports one's playing you know t-ball and the other is playing professional <laughs> yeah, uh exactly. i guess we'll change yeah. sports completely you know yeah. football or something like it's it's totally different and it's it's wild yeah well you know what's really funny is um so there's a lot of guys either my age or a little bit older and uh and you know i've worked with them forever and they were big time executives that lots of different um, car companies for General Motors, Chrysler, BMW, all kinds of, they won't, they won't get, they won't get in an electric car. They will not get in. I'm, I'm not, no, no. And I think the reason is because they're afraid once they go in and try it out, then they're going to realize the future is not is not yeah. going to be uh, gasoline um, and stuff. Yeah. Well, let me tell you one of my favorite stories too about this kind of stuff was uh, Tom Mueller at SpaceX. He was the head of propulsion. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Ba- yeah. Basically, it invented the the Merlin engine, the Kestrel yeah. engine, uh, Super Dracos, um, 
incredible engineer and you know he's a, a big car guy too he loves porsche he's got multiple you know 911s and gt cup cars that he races and a z06 that he races big car guy and when elon was working on the model x actually you know the suv uh, originally he basically at one point told tom he goes just to let you know this suv will spank any of your cars and tom's like no way no way uh, your big ugly suv and he goes well how about this Let's take him out to the Hawthorne Airport, which is right at where SpaceX yeah, is. Exactly in the is. Yep, yeah. the runway. He said, "Let's race them, and if the Model X beats you, beats bring whatever you want. If I beat you, you have to buy one." And let's just say when I hung out with Tom Mueller, he had a Model X. Yeah, because <laughs> he lost that race, which is well, there I think you go. Just hilarious. So, um, but it's but to that point of uh, you know people feeling like they're making a mistake, it's kind of made me wonder. When you clearly see the trends, you know, and you see all this stuff at what, what are these meetings like behind the scenes where they're like, all right, well, this is going this way. Our sales and our stuff is doing this. Why aren't they making that decision to, to change and jump on the train? What is the, is it because there's so much uh, risk in switching over and there's yeah. already the, the investment of the, the current technology or like, What's why wouldn't you pivot? There's there's so much involved here at any of at the end of the day, what it what it boils right down to is you're looking at um we've done this for over a hundred years and they're ingrained into it. So I don't know if you're aware of it, but my job at uh, at Ford Motor Company was engine engineer. I um I helped develop the Vulcan V six, the Penta, <clears throat> um uh, the mock, uh, sorry, the Mark one or sorry, not mock. What was it called? Mm, anyways, uh, a bunch of different, uh, V8 engines, uh, four cylinder engine, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, after getting into an electric car, actually I was on the EV one team and I was sold. I really, I'm, I'm, and since then I've worked on other engines like the Pentastar and things like that. For, for Chrysler. But I will tell you that once you have a taste of honey, it's <laughs> tough to go back to vinegar. And, and that's basically what happened to me. However, that is not the case with everyone. Some people have been so emotionally invested in noise and gasoline that it's impossible to, for them to make that transition. Um, mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a there's an expression there's a fellow by the name of uh, Joel Barker, he's a doctor uh, Joel Barker he's a futurist he's got a PhD he's got a lot of really cool videos um, out that that talk about why people do what they do he's a psychologist I think anyways he um, or a psychiatrist maybe I'm not sure anyway he prefers to be called a futurist now and he has a saying that I use continuously. When the expectations don't match the results, people physiologically cannot see the data. When the hmm. expectations, and that's for people who have strongly held rules and regulations. So if you've grown up with um, cars, and, and I will say that that happened to me as well, but I think I'm the exception. When you grow up with cars and the roar of a big V8 and all the other stuff that goes along with that, that uh, mantra, you you have a real real hard time considering moving to 
something else. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think that's what it's all boiled right down to. So when I talk to little kids, like 7 to 13 or whatever, uh, basically, uh, what would that be, babies to, to adolescents or teenage, those, those folks don't think at all, at all, and it doesn't matter whether it's boys or girls, they don't think at all like their moms and dads. They hate the smell of gasoline. They have no, no concept of ever buying a, uh, a gasoline car. Right. And in five years, those 13-year-olds are going to be 18, and, and uh, they're, they're going to be buying electric. And their parents are going to probably catch on after that. On, on the, the idea of, uh, you know, hard to, hard to overcome, I think half the problem with the adoption of EVs and especially originally the hybrids of the you know, early 2000s, in my opinion, the biggest problem we ever made as, a, as, as I guess, as a species almost was trying to sell uh, hybrid technology as green and as uh, economical. It yeah. should have been looked at as this is the F-150 torque boost package. You're going to get way more. You're going to be able to tow more because this has 200 pound feet of torque in this little tiny thing. Not only that, guess what? Your brakes aren't going to wear out as quickly because now it has regenerative braking. And beyond that, uh, just so happens you might actually get eight miles a gallon better. Like yeah. that should be the after thing. It should first be this will make a faster, better more powerful truck and and especially you know that the offset the differential the delta between you know trucks fuel economy if it's if it's a you know v8 versus a hybrid potential you know yeah. it has the most to gain as far as fuel economy versus taking an, an economy car that gets 40 miles to the gallon now it gets 48 miles to the gallon it just doesn't make as big of a difference overall so i'm just shocked that we didn't start there with the the biggest problem um make it cool make it powerful, make it something that people wanted. And I think that whole, the whole thing would have been turned on its head. It's, it was almost like a branding issue. If we made it this wienery little, you know, the, the slowest, cheapest car yeah. you can buy is now getting incredible gas mileage. And it just didn't, yeah. didn't sell a lot of people on the no. idea. And there's still a lot of people that see it that way. And I, that's one of the things that I'm so impressed with, with Tesla is that they've really pushed to make it fast, sexy, and cool. And, uh, and it is slowly turning that, you know, now you have like the Rivian truck, I think is one of the best looking trucks on the road. Yeah. Um, and just have plain cool factor, the off the overlanding stuff and all that just plain cool. Like, you know, we should have started there though. Like what, what the hell are we doing for 20, you know, for 20 plus some years? Um, yeah. So it's just stuff like that that drives me nuts when it, when it feels like we kind of went backwards on, on things, you know? Well, that's why I really like Ford Motor Company. I mean, they saved my tail. The F-150 Lightning saved mm-hmm. us. Um, uh, we plugged it into the building and suddenly let there be light. Oh, my God. I, yeah. if, if, uh, so there's different kinds of trucks. So I, we, we also have a Rivian. And, um, and I love that truck, no question about it. But is it a work truck? <laughs> I don't no. think so. Uh, no. That's great for around the house and stuff like that. And, um, you know, going to the store or picking up something at a lumberyard and for an individual, that's fine, but, uh, that is not a construction truck, but the lightning is, and that to me, I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stories about people who've, uh, who've been absolutely delighted with lightning. You know, they, they plugged it into the house and it's got reverse charging. So the yep. house was lit up in the neighborhood yep. and everybody else is, yep. you know, dead in the water. So I, I see the, I see the, the lightning as 
Ford's example of what you just talked to, why in a world would I want to pay astronomical amounts of money for gasoline when when I can get, when I get electricity for like twelve cents a kilowatt or something? That's what we're getting around here. I mean, are you kidding me? It's it's the difference between like three hundred and fifty bucks, three hundred, four hundred bucks uh, in gas versus uh, probably somewhere around maybe up to fifty. Ooh. Right. You know, it just I I re- and no maintenance. I mean, <laughs> we've got guys. We got one guy here. F three fifty diesel, whatever, blah blah. It, I mean, the wife took it uh, with a horse trailer and whatnot. They basically kind of like went off the road. The cost to repair the thing is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Holy doodle. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> and uh, how'd you get it home? We bored the, the lightning. <laughs> towed, towed, no way. Towed the, yeah, he did. And we've got another guy that he, his his not his wife, his daughter has horses. And so he uses the lightning on the weekends, takes it wherever she's riding horses or whatever, and then brings it back. And everyone's, well, you'll never make it home. Well, you're going to have to stop for an hour, two hours, 10 days, you know, to get <laughs> yeah. it charged up. And he, it's one charge, basically. It's just yeah. there and back again. Yeah. People always come up with these, the most extreme use cases for their lifestyle, to for their vehicle purchase. Like I had a good friend where, you know, once, uh, once a year, basically, his family drives out to Colorado from Iowa. It's about 10 or 11 hours, you yeah. know, on a conventional vehicle. And he's going, well you know, we, we can't get an EV because we go to Colorado every year. And I'm like, first <laughs> off, you have two cars. So yeah. keep, you know, keep a gas car for that one trip a year for your other car or whatever. And I go, worst just case rent scenario, it. I mean, yeah, rent really? it, whatever. <laughs> and yeah. I go, and then worst case scenario, you're talking about the one time a year where you're going to be driving for 11 and a half hours. And now it's 12 and a half hours or 13 or whatever. Like, so you're pur- you're deciding your purchase on this one use case where every other day you're going to wake up to it full. You're never going to go to a gas station. Like how how are you this short sighted on this extreme case where it's not even that big of a deal? It's maybe a ten percent, fifteen percent less efficient trip versus a hundred percent efficient every morning of yeah. never having to go to a gas station. You know, it's we're we're pretty short sighted, I think, on some of these things. And- but but the the press pumps it continuously. That is their job in life to try and figure out how to kill the electric car. And the reason for that is simple. You know why they're doing it. So there's no money in it for them. None. So you never see uh, the lightning or the Rivian or whatever advertised on TV. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because they don't. That's $600 down the rat hole. That's what it costs on average per car for, for advertising. So who advertises, who advertises is the one who wins, right? It's like, yeah. um, you know, you, you can't get a good politician unless you got a big fat wallet. It's the same right. old, same old over and over and again. A, and it, and marketing, marketing comes to the, to the forefront every time. Hey, how are we going to, um, discourage, uh, people from buying an electric car? Well, we'll make up some more new, uh, new words and people, I mean, they see and they believe it's, it worked yeah. real well for propaganda's worked real well forever. I mean, forever. You'd, you know, back to the, the F-150 lightning and construction and stuff, you'd think it wouldn't be long before too many, you know, contractors or, or construction companies just run the numbers and say like, 
Oh, they did. It'll only take us 12 months of difference to pay the, the price off. And then after that, the vehicle's saving us money or whatever the, the, the numbers are. Well, it's, it's, it's an investment that has a return on investment. And, but they are. I mean, Ford has uh, got the one plant and, uh, and now they've got another one that they're going to be making, I don't know, someplace down south, Blue Oval. But at the end of the day, um, they don't open plants for grins and giggles. The one in, in Dearborn here is 150000 and it can crank. I, I have no idea what the one down south is going to be. But both of them are going to be electric, uh, electric uh, uh, um, F-150 something. or uh, Maybe not the F-150 Lightning, but whatever it is going to be called, it's going to be an electric truck. And that's, that's what they're doing. And, and, I, and everybody else is scrambling. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Ford... Of, of all the traditional, you know, uh, U.S. manufacturers, it definitely feels like Ford was was pretty quick to to be pushing towards the 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 EV trends, and you know, I think they've made it seems like made great vehicles, like with the Mach E, and you yeah. know, all all of that stuff. It seems like they're they're going in the right direction. But I was, you know, I was looking at uh, some trucks and stuff, and thinking about if I, you know, I'm in the market for a truck someday, what would I look at? And I was actually pretty impressed with the Silverado's specs. Mm. Being two hundred, I think they're putting a two hundred kilowatt hour battery pack in that thing. Yeah, just purely for the idea of it. If you literally look at like that or the F one fifty, even as a you know, what's cheaper to to back up your house? Being power walls, you know, Tesla power walls, which are thirteen kilowatt hours or whatever. Uh, if you bought ten of those versus bought a single F one fifty Lightning, you basically yeah. get a free truck with with the yeah, F one fifty. Exactly Lightning, right, you know? and 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 that's what people don't quite get if. if um, so I have three power walls in the basement, solar enough to keep us going for who knows how long. <clears throat> but I didn't have two-way charging. I only had the Tesla, and they, Tesla doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. If um, if things would have been different or if I would have been putting it in now, there's no way in hell I'd, uh, I'd, I'd buy anything. But uh, uh, something would give me a charge in both directions. And yeah. looking, at, um, looking at the lightning and knowing that it just – you know, it saved, it saved basically, I can't imagine how much that, that workshop well, would have cost the customer. They flew in people from Europe, China, uh, all over the damn place and, and all over here in North America. And everybody shows up and Monday comes and Auburn Hills has got no, no power whatsoever. But, but, you know, I, there's something I do want to touch on. I, I mean, we can talk about um, electric cars all day long, but I don't actually get the chance to talk to uh, the everyday astronaut. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's kind of like probably interested more in um, in the the, um, uh, the moonshot that you're going on. Maybe you could uh, give us some background on that. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. So I was I was chosen to participate in a mission called Dear Moon, which will be a flight around the moon. Uh, we won't be landing on the moon. We're going to fly do a lunar flyby, um, which. I, I'm totally fine with. I mean, I would be totally fine with anything. Um, and, and to be clear here, at the, to kind of tee this up, I, this has never been a thing for me. Like I was never, I was not that kid growing up that wanted to go to space. I was not that adult that grew up thinking I was going to go to space or pursue it. Um, even even as I'm developing the channel and, and talking about space flight constantly and stuff, it wasn't still wasn't like a thing that I was trying to do. Really, it's just sort of, to be honest, like the the opportunity kind of came up as like you know they're asking for uh basically to me it feels like willy wonka for space where <laughs> an individual you know uh named yusaku Maezawa, we call him mz uh a japanese uh entrepreneur 
uh, had purchased a ride around the moon in 2017 already from SpaceX. And believe it or not, that announcement of someone buying a seat to go around the moon is the reason that I started the YouTube channel in 2017 to make a video explaining this exciting announcement that someone bought a seat around the moon. It was like the coolest thing. So literally that's the first time I like set up a camera and just, you know, made a video explaining something. It was only three minutes long and I'm yelling at the camera. It's a horrible video. Please don't find it. Uh, But that inspired me to get into this a lot more deeper, uh, deeply and, uh, and start explaining, you know, and trying to explain things about space flight and, um, come to 2021 and they had an, an open application because it kind of changed originally it was supposed to fly on the Falcon heavy here, um, with the dragon capsule on top SpaceX, uh, come about 2018, 2019, they, they basically said, Hey, we're not going to crew rate the Falcon heavy. And they moved Yusaku's flight off of a crew dragon capsule, being able to hold two people to, and on a Falcon heavy to, Hey, we're going to, we're working on starship. If you just give us a few years you'll you can fly however many people you want really realistically this thing can hold dozens of people comfortably because it's mm-hmm. a thousand cubic meters internally the internal volumes more than a 747's internal volume uh for pressurized volume it's freaking huge wow i did not know that <laughs> yeah and they basically said give us time if you if you wait you know you you can choose as many people as you want and so it turned into this mission called dear moon where he wanted to uh he did an he in 2018 um, did a call for, you know, saying we're going to be inviting artists and dancers and uh, communicators and photographers and filmmakers and musicians, all these different things. We want to bring these people. I, I want to invite them to come with to the moon with me, basically is what he said, as a way to inspire and, and reach the world in a way that's never been done before. And we, that was kind of the last we heard about it until about all of a sudden 2021. They're like, hey, we're actually going to do open applications for this. And that was news to me. You know, at this point, I thought it was all going to be invite only. You know, here's a a well-connected uh, individual that I thought was just going to be calling up, you know, James Cameron and, you know, LeBron James or something. I have no idea, you know, calling all these people up on the phone and just saying, hey, I'm going to take you to the moon with me. And that was going to be the end of it for the average person. Come to find out, though, in 2021, he did an open invite uh, saying submit an application and a video application. And. They went through over a million applications and yeah, I read that. Yeah. Through, through about, uh, it was a long time. It was about nine month process. They whittled it down. A whole team of people whittled it down. And now there's, uh, there's basically eight of us that are, that were chosen then to, to go around the moon. Monsters. So what, what sort of preparations do you, uh, I mean, in the olden days, you used to see this thing spinning around with a guy going, uh, why did I sign up for this stuff? But uh, but do you have to do anything or is it just kind of like, uh, you know, grab a couple of pairs of underwear and you're on your way? <laughs> so it's the- not quite as simple as, say, some of the modern space tourism with, you know, the suborbital things like Virgin Galactic and, and Blue Origin uh, with their new Shepard. It's not as it's not quite as simple as, you know, show up a day early, learn how to strap in. And then enjoy the ride. Basically, you know, this is a lot more involved. We don't know. Uh, we don't have our exact training regimen down. Where I think we're at this point, we're, we're still waiting for Starship to mature enough to be able to, you know, have the systems in place to really know how the training is going to go and how you know all of the things involved there. But um, if if we look at the other commercial missions, such as um, Inspiration Four, Axiom missions, it tends to be about six months. And those are those are Dragon missions that, that have been private missions so far um it's been it's been about six months of training and i'm kind of in my head i'm thinking it'll be 
around that amount of time, even though we, we will purely be tourists. Like, let me, let me make it clear. We're not, you know, we're not training to be professional astronauts, blah, 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 or basically taking a joy ride. But when it is a trip around the moon, you, there's still a lot of considerations and a lot of things that, uh, you know, we'll need to know how to do things safely and how to safely operate and, and uh, live in a vehicle for a week. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, it's like brilliant. I, I think it's just absolutely fabulous that somebody with um, a lot of money is going to do something with it that, mm, except for self-gratification. I mean, that's that's kind of what you usually see. Um, but there's actually, there's very, very few, um, what would I call them? I don't know, just leaders that, that pop up. You've got Elon and um, and man, it's a it's a short list. Like in the car industry, the only we were talking about Ford, but Jim Farley. I mean, nobody knows anybody else in the auto industry. Nobody. I, I mean, if you ask people, some some people might say Mary Barra because she's had the job for a long time. But man, she the last time I saw her was when uh, she announced that she's going to be using the um, the Tesla charging system. <coughs> everybody else is in hiding. You never, yeah. nobody yeah, knows who's in charge of BMW or, or Chrysler right. or whatever. And nobody knows any of these cause they're not leaders. Yeah. They're kind of like, mm, got that little office. <laughs> 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 they don't get out much. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's funny, the space flight aspect, I don't know if it brings out the best in some people or if it's just because it's that you have to be kind of at the top to be, you know, reaching for something so yeah. audacious as space flight. But uh, there's been some incredible people come through. I mean, Jared Isaacman from Inspiration Four and now Polaris One, Two, and Three. I just was riding, doing fighter jet training with him last weekend in Montana, and he's ridden <laughs> me around in a Mig Twenty Nine with afterburners, pulling seven over seven Gs. Wow! And yet the guy is the most down to earth, one of the you know the greatest leaders I've I've personally ever met. And I think, in my opinion, you know, they raised two hundred fifty million dollars for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital with their with yeah. their mission. Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. He's not only doing that, but also they're trying to, they're doing a study to see if as a private company and as a private mission, they're trying to fix, repair, and reboost the Hubble Space Telescope. Totally free to the taxpayer, which to me is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and exactly. so I, it's just so cool between, you know, Jared, what he's working on and what Yusaku is doing with his generosity and inviting people to, you know, to experience something, to share that with the rest of the world. I think we're just coming upon this time of, I hope that it, people feel that, ex, you know, the celebration of that and the excitement and, and hope and joy, because I think it's something to, to be excited about. Well, this is a, this is a thing though. I mean, most of the guys that you hear that are incredibly wealthy, what do they do for society? I mean, oh, I gave away some money and then you find, you work out the taxes. He gave it away so he didn't have to pay taxes. So blah, blah, it, it, it he probably wound up with more, more pocket change than he needed. And, and yet you've got other guys like this fellow here that, that, that rates for St. Jude is one of my, <clears throat> I, I give to uh, quite a number of charities and St. Jude is up there. They're, they're mm -hmm. them and uh, Salvation Army get probably the most, uh, most of my money. But at the end of the day, uh, you don't really hear about people, Andy Tom or Danny Thomas kind of guys that he's the one who started the St. Jude movement you don't hear too much about them anymore. They, they kind of, uh, they vanished, um, mm -hmm. you know, so they can buy another big yacht or something. I don't know. But uh, to me, every time I hear about somebody like this, 
I just think, you know, there's somebody going to heaven. Got a whole bunch of money, but um, I think the gates will open for, for this guy. Yeah. It's 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 just fun, too, to just see the, the progress, you know, to, to see that um, that there is commercial interest in in some of these space missions. And it's not just, you know, uh, multi-billion dollar NASA missions. Yeah. And obviously nothing against NASA because that's wh why we are where we are today. And, and actually yeah. set up the, the commercial crew program, which really helped usher in the possibility of any of this stuff. But man, it's fun to watch it where where there's actually, you know, people buying these missions going uh, doing exciting things in spaceflight and actually put not only that, but actually pushing the boundaries right. um, through the commercial sector is really cool and really exciting. And I hope that it, I hope that people, you know, I hear a lot of things about, you know, like billionaire joyride types of things. And I understand the cynicism there. But when you kind of step back and look at where we're going to be in 50 and 100 years, I think these are going to be the, the history makers here. Yeah, you know? well, and, you know, uh, one of the things that made SpaceX happen is um, is actually one of the biggest catastrophes that ever happened to me when the banks melted and everybody and um, and basically everything got defunded. Obama was just, you know, and he had no other choice, really. But anyway, scratching all these things, and one of them was NASA. So all the brightest and best with the lowest seniority uh, wound up out of a job, and Elon snapped them all up and took them, took them away. And yeah. there you go. So, and when you... If you're bright and you haven't been tainted by when well, we can't do that, um, you know, you have to do it this way. And he just said, hey, give me your best way. And the next thing you know, you've got, you know, the best rocket ships on the planet. Actually, the only rocket ships on the planet now. Um, oh, actually, no, there was um, um, India. Uh, great, uh, great news with them uh, yeah. landing on uh, on the moon. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. I would have never oh, guessed yeah. in a million years. I mean, I worked on Intelsat. I, I, I used to be kind of in space and I worked on several different satellites that they had, but they were using um, Russian, uh, Russian and Chinese canisters or, uh, uh, you know, rockets to get them up. And, um, and now they're, I mean, <laughs> tragically Russian, uh, the Russian uh, module didn't uh, fare very well, but 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 India I think uh, should get a big round of applause for you know what they've what they've accomplished um, oh, yeah yeah that's that's an amazing feat really India, to me that's that's on my list I have a, an ongoing list of videos that I've just can never chew away at quick enough because it just keeps perpetuating getting longer somehow uh, but the history of the Indian space program is so fascinating and it's yeah. so incredible what they're able to do. Uh, with with not a, a not a lot of not a big budget, you know, they're they're doing really big things with, you know, a tenth or a hundredth of the budget sometimes in some situations. And um, yeah, Chandrayaan 3 was just an incredible mission. And it's it's so fun to see the country rally behind it, too, and get ex excited and oh, inspired by it. What country but, wouldn't? I mean, really, that that that's 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 what countries live for is that mm -hmm. that kind of razzle dazzle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I know a lot of people from from India that that say how big of an impact that's had on, you know, on school kids saying, I want to yeah. work in this space. I want to be you know, a rocket yeah. scientist and I want right. to, you know, I want to work on the next big mission in India and, and what that actually can do to a, to a generation. It, it's, it's more than just nuts and bolts and, and throwing a pallet of cash into the air. It's, yeah. it actually comes back down here on earth and it inspires people to, to, to do better, to push harder. And I, that's what I love about space flight is that whole aspect of it. 
you know, we're pushing the boundaries and it all does is makes us smarter, yeah. better people because of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have uh, several guys from India here that work at Monroe and uh, they were trained, educated and whatnot in India. And uh, you couldn't ask for better engineers. I mean, pff, yeah. you know, bar none, they, uh, they're, they're, they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's hard for them to get into the United States. I don't know. I mean, we're struggling to try and get uh, guys. We have some people from India and some from China that are trying to get. It's a real monster of a mess. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it, it is, you know, really disheartening to see people, especially in the aerospace industry. It's even harder. If you think it's yeah. hard to get someone in the automotive industry, imagine trying to trying to, uh, you know, bring talent in from from other parts of the world to be able to work on aerospace. It really quickly runs into ITAR concerns, yeah, right. the National Treaty of Arms and Regulations. Yeah. And, and I think it needs to start changing because the times, the times, this is no longer the Cold War, and we're no longer as worried about, you know, rocket technology being uh, a vector of nuclear arms because we already, ha- frankly, we already have that problem. Like that's already a done thing. Everyone's figured that out. That now that's that's of a concern. Uh, so at this point, I think it's our, in our best interest to actually bring yeah. talent in and 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 foster it and and help. You know, if if we're th- you know thinking about our our national security and things, I think we actually want to be, you know bringing more people in that, that are talented instead of having them figure that out somewhere else, you know? Well, people forget Benedict Arnold was born in the United States and uh, he turned out not to be the guy that everybody was hoping for. Um, I, I was want I wanted to uh, touch on something else though. Um, you went, you went through SpaceX um, uh, manufacturing and whatnot. What mm-hmm. was the, what was the mm, couple of points that you saw that, that were unexpected things that you didn't know that they were going to do or things that they, the way they built it or the way they designed it, that, that struck you as being, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've been watching this stuff, every nut and bolt basically move across the factory since there was a, a dirt field. Yeah. So many things didn't necessarily come to me as a surprise, except for the, if I kind of take a step back, you know, if we're, if we're talking about walking through the factory, yeah, there's some surprises about how the system's actually going to work out and things, but for the most part, the, the biggest change and the biggest crazy thing to me is um, contrary to what's normal, I guess, where you build a factory and then you build a rocket. This is almost the exact opposite. They built a rocket and then started building a factory around it. Yeah. You know, yeah. they started building the factory to to be able to figure out, you know, how we can do this most efficiently. And, you know, it's it's really interesting that we're seeing a time where not a lot of people talk about Blue Origin, which is, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, uh, his space company. Uh, they have a huge factory and a huge presence down there in Florida at, at Cape Canaveral. And you know, we're all waiting for that sleeping giant to wake up because they did it in the more traditional sense. You, you know, they built a huge, beautiful factory and then there was nothing in it for years and years and years. And you're waiting for, you know, the the, the design to solidify enough and, and for them to get all the tooling and everything ready. And SpaceX mm-hmm. went the other way. They went, eh, we think we kind of know this is what we're going to do. Just start welding, start bending metal start figuring it out. And I've, you just feel like they have this mantra of uh, don't wait or waste steel, not time. You know, yeah. you can just tell they're in a race against time and nothing else matters. Uh, you know, even if it means redoing something completely, they already knocked down a handful of, you know, buildings and temporary structures and things like that as they're now making this all a little bit more finalized. And it's just so backwards from what most people, you know, I think would, would conventionally think to, to build a rocket and build a factory yet uh, it's, it's, they're cranking them out now. I mean, they're able to produce an insane amount of these rockets. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, 
But there are two schools of thought. Um, one is the one that we're we shoved down our throats since forever, and that is cheap. Okay, everything's got to be money based, and it's got to be on the cheap. But um, if you look at those people who um, who have truly succeeded, um, they pray they put more emphasis on time. And as you get older, time becomes a lot more precious. And mm-hmm. I think there's a song that says, um, uh, time's running short, uh, spend it like it was gold. And, um, and I, I'm telling you right now, spending your time like it was gold is a lot smarter than, um, than basically, well, first we got to get the lowest possible price and, you know, while you're wasting time trying to find the lowest possible price, every day the seconds are ticking by and they turn into hours and weeks and months and years. And I've seen so many programs go down the rat hole because they didn't, they, we have to follow procedures. And procedures to me are the biggest waste of time. If you have people that are dedicated to the program, they are not going to rob you of a single nickel. Mm-hmm. Look at look at um, how you want to get your program done. Um, you know, basically, you should have a sketch in your head. But if you start thinking now, how do we put this into, you know, a good accounting term or a good uh, business plan? By the time you get done, um, somebody else will have beaten you to the punch. And yeah. yeah. But for me, when I when I went through um, when I went through um, Starbase, Elon's, yeah, Starbase, the thing that struck me was how many rules and regulations that that Boeing and all the other guys that we worked with had, and they were all violated. Just ridiculous, stupid rules. You should have seen how they were making this. Um, plating they it was like a, a hexagon plating looked like a like a giant beehive uh mm-hmm. and they said well this is the only thing we can do it can't be stronger than this so how about stainless steel because i i made the calculations and basically by the time they were done it was better to use stainless which is what they use and weld it up than it was to use this crazy um chemical etched material just mm-hmm. are you kidding me <laughs> and then the rockets themselves like i said they they or you had mentioned they 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 fixed on a design and stuck with it forever mm-hmm. so it's a it's amazing to have um the freedom the latitude to be an engineer and an inventor and entrepreneur all at once and that was what that's that's what kind of was the crowning effect for me Going, going, and and looking at uh, at Starbase, it just man alive. This is the this is the real dream here. The real, the real way things should be done. It really feels like you know when you see these uh, almost dystopian futures, and you see people just banging on rocket ships. You know, like Star Wars in a yeah. some junkyard, just fixing up an old thing. You know, and they're welding it on the spot. That's what it feels like because they're just hands on working on things and you know it was a big shock in 2018 when they're working on starship at the time they're calling it bfr and it was going to be carbon composite and all of a sudden by the end of 2019 all of a sudden or 2018 that's when we saw it switch to stainless steel 
because of how quickly they can make changes and iterate yeah, on it. You know, right. literally, if you need to make it, uh, you know, three meters taller, okay, just add another ring, no big deal. Yeah. You weld it together. You don't have to change your tooling and change right. any of that stuff. Yeah. And because of that, we've seen it. The the progress of this vehicle just, you know, just go like crazy, and it's been really, really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of carbon fiber for many things. Airplanes is a good example, but <clears throat> I'm not so much a fan when you start looking at rocket ships. And for the same reason as uh, those guys that were on the Titanic viewing submarine or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't like to be cycled a lot and it doesn't right. like pressures. And there's a lot of things that it doesn't, it doesn't like. So for that, I can move away and say, I'll take the extra weight and, um, and I'll go with stainless. But I don't think they even had the extra weight. At the end of the day, when you started looking at all the uh, nuts and bolts and rivets and uh, uh, everything else that goes on to try and make the old-fashioned rockets, the weight is probably much, much uh, less. All I had to do is basically wrap the pipes around, weld them up, and, uh, and away they go. And mm-hmm. You know what else I thought was really funny? was watching the crew come in in the morning because most of the welders are, are Mexican and mm-hmm. they come walking across the Rio Grande that looks basically like it rained last night and there's a puddle that's just <laughs> virtually nothing, nothing there. It was like yeah. uh, really wild. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is incredible. I mean, and the the big thing to, to keep in mind too when you're watching all this stuff happen is, you know, what we see today is still pretty rudimentary but well, you know, even between in April, they flew booster seven and, and S24 for the first time. And we're coming up hopefully this this fall or early winter, we'll see the next one, which is booster nine and, and ship 25 yeah, fly. Yeah. And although they might look similar, they're actually massively a massive upgrade between the two. And the next one we'll see on the pad will be a massive upgrade from that. And by the time we actually get to this thing flying regularly and flying commercial payloads and, and eventually passengers, uh, it, it won't even look anything like what we're seeing today, probably it'll be so refined and, and awe inspiring, I think compared to kind of the, mm. what we're seeing now, but what we're seeing now doesn't really matter in the long run. We're, they, they just got to learn, they got to fly, they got to test, they got to build and, and that's what they're doing. And it's, it's super fun to watch. I think it's just absolutely amazing. Um, and it, and, and the same thing is reflected in the cars. Okay. So <laughs> being mm-hmm. signaled here, but anyways, um, the same thing is in the cars, like, if you look at how fast they went from, you know, Sandy says 120 parts is goofy and you should have one part. And the next thing you know, they got three parts um, uh, for the for the rear of the Model Y. Mm-hmm. And then pff, a few months later, and it's one part. And then a few months later, it's like the whole front end of the car and the whole rear end of the car. You couldn't get that out of, certainly you're not going to get out of General Motors. There are so many procedures. So many people have to stick their nose in it. The, the, um, the hierarchy to make a decision like that, yeah, most engineers would go, uh, I just looked at how many people had to sign off on this, and I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a small shop and sell ice cream cones. And, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I use that example all the time, but that is a real deal. One of oh the guys that, uh, that was a brilliant engineer, and after frustration after frustration – he left, uh, uh, he was in Chevrolet. He just left and said, uh, and he, and he, he has this little ice cream place and that's him and his wife and they've got four or five of them now, but, but he's, he just walked out to sell ice cream cones. 
And that's what happens when you get frustrated. Yep. <laughs> You're an engineer. So, yep. but anyways, yep. I, I, uh, I have been signaled twice now. So <laughs> the third one, and she hits me with something. I don't know what. But anyways, you know what, uh, Tim, this has been absolutely as, as good as I thought it was going to be. I'm, I'm a happy, happy guy to, to be able to talk to you. And hopefully we can do this again, especially oh, yeah. when you come back from, uh, you know, circumnavigating the moon. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be my pleasure. Absolutely. It's been an honor to talk to you. I've been a fan for a long time and, you know, love uh, your breakdowns on things. So I, I, I learned a lot of lessons watching you uh, dissect stuff. So it's been really fun for me, too. <laughs> Well, this has been a great, great afternoon for me. I, I hope that uh, everybody listening is excited as what, as what I've been all day today. Um, and um, anyways, thanks for watching everybody. And we'll um, hopefully, uh, hopefully get Tim back on the, uh, on the program. Thanks so much. Bye now. Yeah. Anytime. Bye. My pleasure. Bye.